Being a band director has been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. But even on the good days, let's face it, being an educator isn't always easy. And there's no way I could have made it this far without the great advice, words of encouragement, and at times the tough love of some really wonderful mentors. If you find yourself needing those same things, or you just want to learn some strategies that will help you become a more effective music teacher, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the band office. Hi there, I'm your host, Andrew Jemison. On this episode, we'll be discussing relationships with school administrators and how important those are to the success of our programs. Joining us this week is Mr. Trip Aldridge, principal of Fort Dorchester High School in North Charleston, South Carolina, and Mr. Scott Strickler, principal of Brevard High School in Brevard, North Carolina, which also happens to be the school where I teach. Gentlemen, thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having us. Certainly. All right. If you don't mind, would each of you take just a moment and tell our listeners a little bit about your educational background and your experiences specifically with band? Scott, why don't you go first? Well, Andrew, you know, I, I have this is my 20th year in education. Um, but my, I'll start with my experience in band. I remember going into Mr. Heron's band room as a wily sixth grader, um, getting handed a trumpet. I played that for, gosh, a year, and then he wisely said, yes, we're going to change instruments now, and he handed me a baritone, uh, and from seventh grade through twelfth grade, I played baritone, um, and I was really privileged my last three years of high school uh, to be at Dobbins Bennett High School in Kingsport, Tennessee, where Leith Cook is still the band director there as of today. Um, really enjoyed it and spent a lot of time playing probably uh director cook would have liked me to play a little bit more uh but i had experiences at regionals at states um went to new orleans marched all over the southeast um and just really enjoyed it really it was a big struggle when i went into college um my private tutor his name was greg holland he was my church organist he taught me private lessons and he had a really wide breadth of musical taste that he would share lots of CDs with me um, and just really expanded my own personal musical knowledge. Um, so when I was going into college uh, at App, I really struggled between band major um, or music major and education. And I just had some really formative high school social studies teachers, um, Mr. Austin, Mr. Galway at Dobbins Bennett that just really pushed me into going the educational route. So. Once I finished up at App, um, I taught a semester at Pisgah High School. Um, really enjoyed that. I uh, thought I wanted to stay in Asheville, but you know, sometimes the world has different plans for you. Ended up at Roswell Middle School teaching sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, wherever I was at during the year that the principal put me at, teaching science and social studies. Uh, got into it actually started in, like talking to principals and enjoying administration and what that was. Uh, became assistant principal at Brevard Meadow, moved on and became principal at Rosman Elementary, became principal at Rosman Middle School, and now I've graduated to high school. So I'm now here at Brevard High School. Well, I, for one, am certainly glad that you are our principal at Brevard High School and think you're doing a fantastic job there. Uh, so thank, thank you. For... I will pay you later. 
<laughs> you do sign my check, I suppose. <laughs> uh, sorry, you went to Dobbins Bennett and studied with Leif Cook. What a great experience. That is a name that is certainly well known in North Carolina and I'm sure many other places. I can remember hearing uh, about Dobbins Bennett as a young music ed major at ASU. I think people all over the country know who Leif Cook is. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, Tripp, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, like Scott, uh, my formative years were were in my uh, junior high school, high school band program. Um, came, came to figure out early in high school that I probably wanted to be a musician. Um, definitely not a teacher, but a musician. Uh, you know, so planned to head off to school. I went to uh, East Carolina University, uh, studied percussion there with, with Mark Ford, um, had some great experiences, uh, just really preparing as an all-around musician. Uh, when I got ready to graduate, I had my sights set on moving to Nashville uh, to work for Innovative Percussion, uh, mm-hmm. which was a fledgling company at the time, and I uh, was talking to uh, the president of the company at that time about going out. Uh, but I had worked a marching band camp for uh, this lady named Alice Adkins, at Scotland High School. And uh, Scotland High School is in Larnburg, North Carolina. And I had done their band camp for, for two years with their marching band. They had played at the state convention and I helped out, was teaching. It was a really great place. She uh, was super supportive and uh, had a great program, good support there in the district. And, you know, I told her, you know, really my ideal job would have been to go somewhere like Texas where I could be a percussion specialist. I had kind of warmed up a little bit of teaching. I didn't really want to be a band director, I didn't think, but uh, warmed up to teaching maybe percussion and, and being the performer. Uh, and so lo and behold, she did some digging and Scotland County Schools was able to create a position for me as a percussion specialist. We had four middle schools and one high school. I spent one day of the week at, at each of those schools uh, rotating around. And then of course, worked with the marching band. I did a jazz ensemble at the high school, uh, conducted the musical theater and uh, really fulfilling experience. Uh, and so after two years, there's the percussion specialist, uh, Paul Jackson, a name that some people might know in North Carolina. Uh, Paul Jackson was our assistant band director, and, and Paul got his first head director job and was leaving right before band camp. And uh, at this point, uh, Alice and I had started dating. And I said, well, honey, I don't know what we're going to do about an assistant director. And she said, I do. You're going to be the assistant director. <laughs> and so... Um, as, as her fiance, I dutifully said, yes, ma'am, and I became the, uh, the associate director. We promoted the position to associate director of bands, uh, and that's where I got my start band directing there. We then went on to Croatan High School, uh, where we team taught together. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we left a great uh, situation in Scotland County to go there where we knew we would control the feeder school and the high school. We team taught the middle, sole middle school feeder and the high school program. In a 2A high school, we had a national national caliber band. Uh, we put about 60% of the band in, in district band and, and all state uh, each year, wildly popular. We had, had a band of the day at the essentially Ellington Regional Jazz Festival in Chapel Hill. Uh, our winter guards were winning medals at WGI. Uh, we were winning uh, regionals as class champions and, and placing at grand nationals uh, in the A class at, at Bands of America. So really fun time during those years. Uh, but eventually uh, came to realize that uh, I was going to need to do something else to support the lifestyle we wanted to have. We were thinking about having children. And uh, so I went to the dark side and <laughs> moved, moved to administration. But I was lucky at that time that my, my principal at Croatan High School, Matt Bottoms, 
was a former band director. He had hired us to be the, the band directors. And so he completely understood. And, and even more so, he understood moving into administration from the band job. And so he brought me on as an assistant principal. Uh, we traversed across the state and worked in Cabarrus County uh, for a while. And then five years ago, uh, we made the move to South Carolina. Uh, we live in Somerville, South Carolina, where our son Grayson is in the Somerville High School Band. He is a uh, first chair in the state alto saxophone uh, for the third year this year. Uh, just made all-state uh, uh, jazz on tenor sax, and he'll be performing at their music educators conference on their solo uh, performance. So really proud of what he's doing and, and enjoying being band parents at this point. So I feel like that gives me a unique perspective because I now have uh, 15 years in school administration uh, and I've got almost 17 years now as a, as a parent, band parent and, uh, <laughs> and also have been a band director. So I, I can talk about all the angles there. Yeah, I see some things online on social media that you guys post. He's doing really well for himself. Yeah, we're super proud. Yeah, I've recently stepped into that world of being a band parent myself. I have a middle schooler who is a percussionist. It certainly makes you appreciate and understand that different perspective that a, a band parent has. And a middle schooler and a percussionist. Right. You know, it's three strikes right now. I promise it will get better. <laughs> oh, man, do I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about yourselves with our audience. Okay, our topic for this episode is about building healthy working relationships with school administrators and learning to understand their unique perspective of the education world. I'm sure we've all heard stories or had experiences of teachers not getting along with their administrators or even leaving the profession because of bad working relationships with their principals. I specifically remember a teacher during my second year of teaching who sat next to me at the very first faculty meeting of the year and just badmouthed the superintendent and the high school principal the entire time. Her um, advice to me was, get out now before it's too late. And if you're going to stick with it, just remember, you'll outlive the terrible principal. Now, four weeks later, she was gone. <laughs> I don't know whether she chose to retire early or whether she was asked to leave. But either way, she she left the profession rather than working out her differences and seeing the issues through someone else's eyes. So tonight we're here to do just that. We're going to discuss how we can better understand our administrators and hopefully share some advice on how to resolve issues that may arise. So let's jump into some questions. As an administrator, what do you consider your greatest responsibility? And I think I know the answer that both of you will probably give is the safety and welfare of your students and your staff. I hope that's what every person in education considers to be their main goal. So looking beyond that, though, what would you consider to be that second most important thing? I'm going to say for me, it's, it's hiring of new staff. I mean, you can really create something that is incredible with the hiring of a new staff member or a set of new staff members, or you can unintentionally set in place some really hard situations for students, uh, fellow educators and administrators. Um, I had the fortune when I was at Roswell Middle School to hire a music teacher whose name is Hazel Ketchum, who when she came into the interview, we were like, this lady is incredible. She talked about 
you know, playing the lute, teaching kids uh, in a rural setting how to like play traditional bluegrass music. Uh, she talked about being in a rock band, but then she'd turn around and, and tell how she has run like children's choirs before. And so, you know, hiring her, I guess, three years, three or four years ago at this time, and just my conversations with her about how she's really changed the culture of the importance of music at both Rosamond and Rosamond High School, because she works at both schools, has been pretty amazing to the whole school. I mean, it's pretty neat when you can see a teacher walk around with a lute and, you know, serenade kids going down the hall and they're into it. Mm -hmm. um, she's really done a lot to change that culture. I mean, I'm sure that both Tripp and I, um, as administrators, could talk about those hires we wish we could go back and take, but I really try not to dwell on those folks because um, sometimes just a different location really can help people. And sometimes, you know, that lady who you were sitting beside at the staff meeting really probably wasn't built for teaching in the long run because this this is not for the faint-hearted. And when you find people you want to work with, like you want to work with them. I know when working for a principal who I, I feel he just gave out cookies, like literally that's all he did. I was always amazed at how like he didn't know kids' names or you know that, and it was just a business to him and not a. He, he thought he would get enough brownie points literally by handing out brownies, and he and I had some philosophical differences that really helped guide me via the principal I am today. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so I would uh, I would piggyback here. I think Andrew, you hit the nail on the head. Obviously, want to make sure everybody goes home in as good or better condition every day. Then they came to us at school. We want to make sure everyone's safe. And then Scott, absolutely, probably our, our most important job in administration is our responsibility for hiring the right people. And, um, you know, as they talk about getting the right people on the bus. And, and so that's a big thing. Put a lot of energy into that, um, you know, to give a, an additional perspective. Uh, one of the things I remember, and I mentioned um, Matt Bottoms, uh, the administrator that, that brought me to the dark side, but one of the things I can remember when I was still in the classroom working for Matt is that I felt like Matt always had time for me. His door literally was always open. Um, you know, I could go to him with anything. He'd stop by my classroom and check in. Um, and I can remember um, learning from him as I went into administration. You know, I remembered what that felt like as a teacher to know that I was completely supported, that my uh, administration was available to me uh, and I could go to them. And, and I wanted to do, you know, I'll date myself here, but, you know, if, if a teacher needed dry erase markers, I'm, I'm not too important to run and get the dry erase markers and deliver them to that classroom. The mm -hmm. teachers are where the rubber meets the road. They are there with the students, which are our most important uh, commodities, not the right word. They're not a commodity, but you know, that's what we're all about is the students and, and what they're gaining in their education. And so the teachers are really literally where the rubber meets the road on the front line. And, and, and I have to support that and do anything in my power to remove barriers and obstacles. And I've kind of learned over time, I tell my staff at my school that the, the jobs I want them to focus on are um, creating and teaching fantastic lessons. And I added that creating part because I think you have to put some work into your plan and design for what you're doing. I used to just leave that out. You just got to teach great lessons. Uh, but I found out that sometimes people didn't prepare appropriately for that. So I want to prepare and teach great lessons. Um, and I'm going to remember everything else I can. I often say that I try to be a yes man. When somebody comes to me and my goal is to be able to say yes 
um, to that. I, I want to be able to give them what they're looking for and what they need. And, and I think you can flip that script as well as a teacher. If we're looking at people uh, that may be listening to this podcast that are teachers right now, you can apply that same principle as a teacher. You know, can you be that go-to person for your colleagues on the staff, for your administrators? Uh, you know, uh, administrators take a beating a lot of times, especially assistant principals. Um, they can take a real beating. And, you know, nothing means more to me than when one of my staff members wants to check in on me or check in on, on another administrator in the school and make sure it's okay. Or just being there. I know specifically we start talking about band directors and it's a lot to be a band director. And, you know, we hate doing a parade and we'd rather not do the pep rally. And there's just some, and can we just play the Star Spangled Banner from the stands instead of going out on the field? Uh, there's all of these things that band directors are gonna wanna do or say, but if the principal doesn't have to worry, if, if yeah. they know that you ask for, if as a principal, I ask for this and my band, band director says, absolutely, I'm gonna do that. That takes away my worry. I'm no longer worried what my band director is gonna do. I'll go fight with my football coach because he's not going to listen, but you know, the, the, you know, that's just a joke, but right. you know, that, that, that's kind of where, where that goes is you want to think about where people are coming from, be there to help. Um, you know, it's basically an expanding on the golden pool, but that that's huge. And I think if you really focus on that and realize, you know, are you being a giver or a taker uh, in, in your role and, and what you do, if you can always be there and always support, if you can try to always make your answer, yes, let me figure out how I can make that happen for you. You know, people are going to appreciate that and, you know, look to then bring favor to you when they have that opportunity. All right. Very good. So the next question, how do you gain the confidence and trust of your teachers and staff and how can those teachers gain the same from you? So I, I would say that a big thing for me that I, I think my staff appreciates is consistency. Um, and I, I'm in a very large school. I've got 2,300 students. We have eight administrators, nine guidance counselors, two SROs, two additional security. Um, I got a lot of support staff uh, helping in that school. And sometimes we mess up and, and as a group, it's hard for us to be consistent across that number of people. But we are very transparent and honest about the fact that we are trying to be consistent. And I want people to know what to expect uh, when dealing with situations. Um, I try to always support a teacher um, when, when dealing with a parent or student situation, uh, that teacher has my support. And if the teacher, in fact, appears to maybe have not made the right choice or you know, could have done something differently, I'm gonna support that teacher. And then we'll have a conversation privately afterwards about you know, what, what could we have done differently or you, know, you really kind of put me in a situation here, but um, you know, I wanna make sure that I have that support and I, and I think that that sets that up is that I'm always there um, in, in their corner and, and covering that and, and building that trust with consistency and support. Great, great answer, Tripp. I, I agree with all those points. I'd, I'd throw in my two cents. Um, and Andrew, I hope, I hope you've seen this a little bit this year, um, as this is my first year at Brevard High School. You know, it, for me, it begins with, with listening and observing um, and just implicitly trusting your people. You know, I had before I came to Brevard High School since I'd been in the county for nearly 20 years, you know, everyone would fill my ear about all these wonderful or sometimes the opposite things that, you know, educators at this school had done. Um, 
and I and I was kind of like, I, I would like to see this in action. That's why, you know, over the summer, I really attempted to meet with every staff member and just say, can you tell me what our school's about? Um, I just need to know. And, you know, when I, I hope I hope you never feel, Andrew, when I come into the band room, I'm never going to sit there and go, oh, well, I could do this better. I mean, you know, I don't do that in math classrooms. Um, I, I, there's not a classroom in the building, even if, you know, I, I'm licensed in that subject, I think that. Um, there are classrooms I walk in to go, all right, look, I need to help this person with this, you know, whether it's management or planning or, you know, just, just general rapport with students. But, but that's a partnership. That's not a dictatorship because right. unless somebody is just being unethical, immoral, or just plain out illegal, which has happened so infrequently in my career, I can't think of an example. Like we need to give teachers the authority to teach and do what they do and what the college do and do great at. And if they're not doing it, light the spark again with them. And, and it's, a, it's a journey with them. It's not a journey to them. Um, and that's, that's often very difficult because lots of times the folks that need the fire rekindled really may not want to stay up all night and, and keep it going, uh, yeah. to use a poor analogy. But, you know, I, I, and I think that, that that's, that's kind of the hardest part. So, I mean, I don't, I don't walk in somebody's classroom with some hoity-toity attitude that I've got, you know, well, I've got a master's degree. I'm obviously smarter than you. Incorrect. I guarantee, I guarantee if I walked in and you were teaching the flute section how to play, I'm not having a brother. I'm not, not even going to touch that one. I, I remember those times I've tried to play a flute and it's, it's <laughs> comical. Um, you know, and that's same for me. I, but then that's what I expect the teachers is if, is if I say, hey, I need you to do something. It's a, it's a conversation. It's a dialogue. There's, there are right. occasions when I'll say, hey, we need to do this. I right. mean, you, you, you've seen that when it's come down to stuff like safety or when I'm saying, you know, setting up routines that may or may not have been here before with lesson planning or grading. But, you know, I, I hope that I gather enough trust from like listening and not coming in, overturning the apple cart to um, the teachers overwhelmingly have seemed to do that. Right. Well, I think you both hit on two really great things that are so important, uh, both of which I've had some some issues with uh, with previous administrators uh, throughout my career, and that is the support and the trust. I had a principal at one point early on in my career, and I don't mean for this to turn into a uh, an administrator bashing session by any means, um, but I had a principal early on in my career that basically said to me, you know, you're the professional. I'm going to trust you to do what you need to do in your classroom and uh, with the band program. And then it ended up that he didn't really do that. And it was kind of questioning everything I did and, and almost micromanaging everything I did in some form or fashion. And Tripp, you talked about support and, and just being in the classroom. I, I think that's really important for teachers to see their administrator, not only when things are negative, you know, not only when there's something bad that happens, which is what happened to me a lot in in my past is, you know, that I only saw the administrator when there was a problem, when there was a student that was in trouble. Um, the students didn't see the administrator come in the classroom to, to praise them in any way. Uh, you know, they just got a superior at MPA or some students just performed a uh, small ensemble performance at the local uh, Rotary Club. You know, it's just great to hear that 
uh, affirmation and that assurance from the administrator, you're doing a great job as a student. And it's also good for the teacher to hear that. Andrew, can I circle back and, and frame sure. that Scott said? He talked about coming in as a, as a new administrator and meeting with all the staff and finding out what, you know, what they liked and what they wanted. And I, and I think that's important, um, you know, for band directors to, to consider um, twofold. If you have a new administrator coming to your building and they offer that opportunity, which uh, many times that's the case now, you absolutely must take that opportunity and mm-hmm. meet with that principal. Um, and, and likewise, if, if you are interviewing for a, another job, a new job and looking, you, you need to be interviewing the principal just as much as they interview you. And, and um, right. you know, I think it, it may be a little unfair here as you talk to uh, me and, and Scott and our backgrounds with band and our understanding maybe of what's happening. Um, the unfortunate truth is there are some administrators that just don't have an understanding. They, they didn't have the experience when they were coming up. Um, and they don't really know what we're doing in the band room. And, you know, I'm not, again, not bashing anyone, but it, what we do in a band room is very complex. Um, as right. complex or more complex than maybe what happens in some other classrooms, um, you know, certainly as complex. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's difficult. And, and you need to know what you're dealing with with your administrator. Does your administrator truly understand or does your administrator need you to help them understand? Uh, and what can you lay out to set that up? You mentioned congratulating the students for making a superior at MPA. You know, it, it's important as a band director that you teach your principal that MPA is your your EOG or your EOC for mm-hmm. your class. And they absolutely make a big deal for the entire school about that testing and how important the state testing is. Well, this is just as important and they should be on that bus or at least meeting you at the site and seeing you have not missed uh, an MPA performance for any of my bands, um, you know, and in the entire time I've been a principal because it's a huge deal. And I want to be there to celebrate those students and how hard they worked. Um, in my current role, uh, we have a state championship in South Carolina for marching band. And the Friday before the state championship, we always have pancakes with the principal. And they come in and I have the cafeteria prepare breakfast and we have breakfast with the marching band. And I remind them that I was out there in the summer when they were at band camp and I know how hard they worked and I've seen the sacrifices they've made and how hard they have poured into this uh, until November. And, and I'm there to support that. And, and I know to do that because of my history, but if I didn't know, um, you know, I think most principals that just don't understand would welcome somebody telling them and making them understand so they could be there and do that. But, you know, principals like to get to celebrate the good stuff because all the bad stuff lands at our feet, you know, we're looking That's right, yeah. for the good moments, you know? Right. Well, and, and, and Trip, I know I've mentioned this to Andrew multiple times, the things that go on in band, whether it's in, during the day or after school or at competition or on the football field, that is just as important to those kids as any other activity, you know? I know that every school has its, you know, specialized activities that are, that can be lauded higher than others. But, you know, for that kid sitting there playing clarinet in the band room at Brevard High School, that's the thing that keeps them in school. That's the thing that they wake up and go, nice, I get to, I get to go play today. Like I get to go play this new piece with the band and, or, you know what, on this Tuesday night, I get to go perform for our community. Like, and if we if we don't encourage those things and we have that 
narrow focus on one or two extracurriculars, we're missing out on a whole lot of kids and a whole lot of families and their reason why they come to school. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Uh, Tripp, you touched on this just a little bit, and it leads perfectly into our next question. How can I, as a band director, help to educate my principal about what a healthy band program should look like? I would couch that in growth terms. You know, Andrew, you and I have talked about, you know, growing the numbers of the band and, and how you are seeing some success and in dipping into the middle school and growing that program and how that's then going to grow the numbers um, in your program. I, I would hope that most people at this point, since music, in my opinion, is pretty, pretty much a universal language. I hope that through their ears, they can, he- they can also hear that growth. You know, you, I remember earlier uh, in the, in the year when uh, Brevard Middle School came over and performed before Brevard High School's band and concert band, and that was a pretty stark contrast: the sixth grade band to the seventh and eighth grade band to you know the high school ensemble, and then you know that that greater high school ensemble. And I mean, it was a pretty clear delineation, and you know, utter novice to those students that have been playing for you know, a good bit of their middle and high school career. There was a marked difference in the musical performance, you know, the difficulty and, you know, the tone of the, of the pieces as well. And I think that hopefully any principal, whether they are, they were in the band or still have musical interest or they just really enjoy watching a good James Cameron film that with a great score, that they can hear that progression from, you know, bands and band members that are novices and beginners to those that are becoming elite and have future careers in music. So I I would offer this and and it may sound a bit like a commercial, but Scott Rush is a good friend of mine. And I remember Mm -hmm. just before I left the profession, I got one of the early spiral bound copies of his book, uh, the habits of highly successful, successful um, band director. And I would tell anybody that's listening to this that has not read Scott's book, um, it's probably in its third or fourth edition now. Um, mm-hmm. It is a fabulous book, and he actually gives pointers in the book about what you just asked. How would you educate your administrator maybe that doesn't know? I can right. remember one of the appendices in, in the book was just a list of all the things that the band director does in a year. And it was single space type list that went on for, I don't know, 30, 40 pages. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, somebody that didn't understand or didn't have that background to see that and compare that to maybe what they did when they were a math teacher or a history teacher or whatever. I, I think it's mind blowing to understand where that is and, and what you're doing in terms of building a, a program, um, not just teaching a class, but building a program in the school. Right. And Scott touched on the vertical alignment from, you know, middle school up through the high school. And I mean, it's, it's much bigger than what many teachers come to school and focus on. And I'm not, I'm not in any way belittling what they do, but their, their focus is what they're doing that semester, usually in high school in their classroom. And they're going to rinse and repeat and do that again the next semester when they teach probably those same classes again. And it's just not like that at all for band. Uh, Scott's book does a great job of laying that out laying that out helping you explain that um and i would say that'd be a great place and great tool uh to help you really uh find that time you know make an appointment maybe offer to uh to take the administrator to lunch or if you know they've got a they got ball game duty uh that night Uh you know 
say, hey, are you staying for the ball game? How about I pick us up some burgers and, and can we sit and chat for a while before the game starts or between the games or whatever? You know, get it, get an opportunity where you're not pressuring them, where you just have time to talk and let them know you, you need some time. Um, you know, we're, we're rambling on tonight, and I imagine we'll, we'll speak for an hour easily uh, tonight, you know. So how, how can you get that time with the administrator and just really talk about it? And, you know, I imagine that any of your guests that are listening to this podcast are going to be passionate and can just go on and on about this if they get started. Um, right. you know, and so that I, I would say that'd be great advice to get them going with training up their administrator. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that Scott Rush book. You know, he has several there: the oh, yeah. uh, habits of a successful band director, habits of a significant band director. Uh, there, there's a middle school version. There's one for chorus and orchestra as well, uh, and they are just fantastic resources. Yeah, if you haven't, as Tripp said, looked at those, definitely. Order them, take a look at them, read them, take notes. Lots of good stuff. Well, let's take a moment to talk about the responsibilities of the band director, as you mentioned their trip, um, specifically beyond the classroom. You know, I've made these lists before for principals, and I think as a pre-service teacher um, who's in an undergraduate program right now training to be a band director, I think it's really important for you to understand exactly what responsibilities that you're going to have beyond just the everyday the classroom responsibilities or the conducting responsibilities Um, and uh, as a new teacher it's important for you to share that list and share all those things that you have to do on a daily basis uh, with your administrator how can you or how do you i guess as a administrator um, find ways to support your band and your band program um, it, being busy yourselves uh, with all these after-school activities and all of these uh, extra responsibilities that come with the job of the band director. So I, I um, as a former band director, I'm, I'm very careful and I, and I tell my, my band and, and music teachers in my school that I'm not coming around and, unless you ask me um, because I know it can, can be awkward to feel like I might be stalking or, or passing judgment uh, on what they're doing. Uh, so I, I wait for that invitation, but um, because I feel like I set that up as a former band director, uh, as soon as that invitation comes, I, I feel obliged to make sure my calendar is clear and I'm there. Um, in fact, I can I could say about three or four years ago um, here at, at Fort Dorchester High School, I went out to a marching band rehearsal and I was helping adjust some drill and trying to prove a point and Next thing you know, I took the bass drum off of one of these strapping young teenagers and I put the bass drum on and, and started lunging forward on this extended step size to get to the spot I needed to get to. And I got this Charlie horse cramp in the back of my leg. <laughs> it was terrible. I had not stretched or done anything that somebody of my uh, age and experience should have known to do. And uh, it was a, uh, it was a bad scene, but you know, I, I get out there and I'm not afraid. And, and I think it, each year I try to make sure I at least do that once in a marching band rehearsal. The, the kids that uh, haven't seen that, that are maybe freshmen or new to the band, um, to realize that the principal can come out there and actually get on the ground and, um, and help run marching band rehearsal and tech, tech a section in, in the marching band. Um, they find that amazing. I often uh, will also substitute if I've got a coverage issue with my band for a concert band situation. Uh, or even with, with chorus, orchestra, and whatnot in my school, um, I'll often go in and, and cover a class if the 
teacher's got to be out for a period or so we, they'll ask and we'll set it up and, and I'll know what they're rehearsing and I'll, you know, get my score, get a baton and I'll go in there and, and actually rehearse the band, uh, which doesn't happen a lot when the, when the director's out. And so they think it's kind of cool that their principal can, can do in and do that. So it's, it's super important, uh, you know, to me to be able to do that. I would imagine, um, you know, it's going to be different maybe for somebody that doesn't have my band directing experience to step in and do that. Mm -hmm. For me, those extracurriculars are celebrations. You know, you're seeing students at their best and, you know, they, they want to, they want to show what they have learned to, you know, who, whoever comes, whether it's community members, family members, friends, you know, I, I'm always impressed when I go to the arts and it's not just whoever is participating in that activity there. There's students come out like gangbusters here to support their peers. Um, and for me as a principal, like I'm here for, I'm first and foremost here for the students. And so, you know, I really enjoy interacting with the adults, but I'm, I'm really here for the kids. Like I want right. to support them and, you know, hear the great things they're not only doing now, but the great things they're going to do after high school. And that's one of those times I really get to do that, like walking up to the stage and, and you know, giving them a high five and saying, great job. Or, you know, I love that solo. You killed that. Like, I mean, those those are moments that you just don't get a lot um, in the lunchroom or, you know, and sometimes kids are like kind of excited that you notice that they're in a thing and that it's celebrated, you know. And, you know, and it's it's hard to do that if you walk into their math classroom and you really want to just be like, hey, let's just chat about what, you know, what's going on in life. Most 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 educators, um, you know, really want to make sure that their curriculum's covered. So that's one of those opportunities you can have with the students and with the people they bring, whether it's their grandparents and their parents or, you know, other extended family members or guardians. And, you know, I, I have gotten multiple parents that have said, I've really, I've really enjoyed seeing you at insert sporting events, but you also come to the arts events. And I said, yeah, that's because that, this is important for me because it's important to those kids. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to support this just as much as I want to support those athletic events. You know, I don't think it's any secret that administrators, along with people like band directors and, and uh, our other arts, performing arts uh, and coaches, you know, those are some people that really do pull very long hours and, uh, are some of the busiest people in the school system. Uh, Scott, you're, you're still at school now. Um, and, and again, I appreciate you doing this. And as we record this, it's uh, eight o'clock at night. And Tripp, you said you just got home. Yes. Um, do you think it's okay for a band director to say to their administrator, listen, I, I know you've been busy. I know that you've been every night after school at some sort of function. If you don't want to come to the concert, it's not going to hurt my feelings uh or if you're if you don't want to come to this certain event that the the band is doing i get it go home and spend time with your family i'm not going to give you a straight answer but i would say that you know i think as a band director you need to work to be in a relationship with your administrator that you even get to have that conversation um, right. if you're if you're scared to speak to your administrator if you never talk if you only see them when you stand on stage and say, please stand if you're in the audience, you know, I mean, you should be like hobnobbing with them before the concert starts. If they're at your concert, you should see them at lunch duty. You should see them, like I said, 
they're hanging out because they got a basketball game on Friday night and going to be late. You know, they wish somebody would bring them a cheeseburger. Um, you know, having that relationship where you feel like you can comfortably speak to your principal regularly, that makes the conversations you're just talking about just another conversation. Right. Hey, man, I know you're busy. We got it. If you don't, you were here, you know, last week and the kids got to see you, you're good if you need to go. Um, I, I think that happens. But a lot of times, uh, I see a lot of teachers and, and whether it's band directors or, or any other teacher that just they're worried about that relationship or they they're scared to talk to that principal or they avoid those comments. I mean, we're human. Um, we need human interaction, too. Uh, right. And, you know, for for most of our day, I mean, literally, and, and this sounds terrible, but it's kind of true, like all the bad stuff that happens in a school day lands at my feet. Mm-hmm. I deal with everything bad that happened that day. And I just hope every morning when I get up and look in the mirror and psych myself up to go to school, I hope that something good is going to land at my feet too, because I know everything bad is going to. And so, you know, be the person that builds that relationship and, and invites those good opportunities. I mean, you, you set the stage and and prepare for those opportunities to celebrate by building those relationships. Well, and, and for me, Andrew, that, I mean, I don't think that's, necessarily a bad thing to say i know when i've not been available to do something i've i hope you feel like i've just said hey i have class today i need help i'm gonna be a western i really need some help i mean when it was the christmas parade and i was like i'm a western and if i miss class i have to write a 10 page paper i'm not writing an extra 10 page paper on top of the like 30 other 10 page paper that the doctoral program is asking me to write Right. Um, you know, and so I would hope kind of like Tripp said that relationships there. I mean, you know, I'm not, I hope I, I doubt I'll ever go, you know, Andrew, I really just want to go home and, you know, like sit on the couch, put on my PJs. I mean, yeah, we, right. we all want to do that. Like we're human. Like, right. You know, we, we all have long days, you know, I know, I know I'm sure Tripp is like me. I'm one of the first people in the door in the morning and oftentimes one of the last, if not the last person to leave. Right. I, I also signed up for this. Like, this was not like no one forced me into this job and like held me at knife point and said, you'll do this or we're going to take your house. I mean, I want to see those successes. And, and as, as I stand on top of all the bad stuff Trip talked about, I want to celebrate the great stuff and right. band concerts and performances in the community are definitely those things. All right, let's move on to our next question. What is your biggest pet peeve about teachers or, or specifically band directors, if you wish, um, what is something that they could do to make their lives better as a teacher and to make your life easier as a, an administrator? I, I could really quickly say, as long, as long as that relationship is formed, don't assume intent. So my intent and anything I ask a staff member to is not to get them or to make their life harder or you know, be a villain, it's, it is either like, hey, this is something that could help students, or this is just something that can, that needs to be done. But then if I am asking somebody to do something that's just not feasible or creates a life change that is not good, I I need them to communicate that with me. I I remember I asked a teacher years ago, I, I had just put her on the morning duty list, you know, any, I'm sure trips the same in the summer when I'm making those duty lists. I really try to do my absolute best to make sure that they are, you know, the best for 
people's schedules and I'd accidentally put, you know, a mom who had to drop her kid off in preschool on the du morning duty list. And they came in my office like, are you trying to get my kid kicked out of preschool? And I said, what are you talking about? And I, and they explained, I said, I'm sorry, let's switch it right now. Oh, I know this other person will want, let's just switch it right now. And they're like, oh, you didn't do that intentionally? I said, no, my goal is not to make your life harder. It's to enable you to be the best educator you can. So that is just something I'm not, I'm not making rules. I'm not sitting in my office, stirring my cauldron and, you know, hoping for the worst. I'm trying to do things to make our school and our students successful. And if that has an unintentional negative effect, come tell me, let's see if we can work it out. I would say uh, a pet peeve for me, uh, probably unique to my situation. Uh, I write a, a morning email to my uh, staffalty, we call them. Uh, my staffalty gets a morning email from me uh, every day. It's personalized each day. Um, I'll give them information about what might be happening if we've got testing or any kind of event or whatnot happening during the day. If there's any, uh, you know, district paperwork that they should be turning in or that they're responsible for or uh, grades are due, those types of things, upcoming calendar events. Um, I'll usually end with maybe some links to tweets or other articles or things that I see online that happen to pertain to teaching or what I feel like might be important to them. Or maybe I want to raise a question and get them to think about something. I'll, I'll throw something out about uh, something controversial about grading or whatever, just to get people thinking and talking uh, and, and doing that stuff. And I asked that the, that the staff read that every day. I mean, I kind of feel like as a, as a salaried professional, um, you know, we're not punching a clock to the minute. You need to get into work and have enough time to put your stuff down, get your coffee, whatever your routine is, and read my morning email before you get going, because it's going to tell you important stuff. If you need to pick up your W-2 before 11 o'clock today, um, you know, you need to read that in the morning. So before 11 o'clock, you can scoot by the office and grab your W-2 from the secretary. Um, you know, and it's a pet peeve of mine when people feel that they're too busy to keep up with that, that minor ask. And I'm very overt about saying, like, you know, at the beginning of the year, this is something I expect. I don't ask much of you. I'm going to try to keep everything off your plate. But one thing that helps me is knowing that you're going to get a morning email from me every day that we have school. And it's going to give you important information. It's not just for my ego, gives you important information, answers your questions, prepares you, um, you know, to do this. And I mean, it, it, it's an hour of my morning routine to make sure that I'm up plenty early to have that email there. Uh, my teachers are supposed to arrive at school at eight o'clock for a 930 start with students, which is crazy. I know they have 90 minutes before students enter their room. Um, and I make sure that email is in their inbox by eight o'clock every morning. And so it, it is a pet peeve of mine if people um, can't read that email and then miss out on something important. So right. if your principal gives you, you know, the non-negotiables or the things that they really expect, try to do that. There's probably a reason that they're asking that. It's kind of like Scott was saying, nothing's just to make your life harder. We're trying to probably make your life easier. Right. Um, you're, you might be making it harder by not uh, living up to our expectation there. You're making it hard on yourself. Yeah, you know, I think in the past 16 years of my career, I can say that that has been the biggest source of conflict that I have seen between teachers and uh, administrative teams, um, just the communication aspect, and or in some cases, uh, the lack of communication. 
Um, if teachers are not doing their job in reading or administrators aren't doing their job in, in sending information to the staff, it causes some major issues. Um, not only do staff appreciate being being communicated with on a, on a regular basis and, and being kept up to date on, on everything that goes on, uh, but administrators appreciate the fact that teachers take the time to read that and to take seriously what they're saying and to put it into action. Um, I'm, I know uh, as a band director, when I send things to my students or when I talk to them in class about something and it goes in one ear and out the other or, or they never read it, it's very frustrating and, and things get missed. Uh, and it's the same for a teacher to, excuse me, for an administrator to teachers. Definitely. I, and, and like I, like Tripp said, let, I, I am not the biggest fan of emails. I think that we are, we, we get too many of them as it is, yeah. um, you know, but those simple expectations, one email a day, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that or, you know, a weekly newsletter because we're not put, like, you know, we're not putting things in there for our own amusement. You know, I legitimately want people to know when, when a concert is, when an after school event, and then if they can come, that's awesome. I mean, how cool is it when kids see their teachers in the audience? Like they notice. Now, and I'm going to be honest, I notice. Like I love seeing teachers come to that kind of stuff because it's shown they support kids. Uh, and, and how many times when I ask them, oh, I'm so glad to see you here, they're like, I had to come see Johnny play the French horn. He, I promised him I would come. And there's, it just shows that you know teacher-student relationship and how how pivotal and important it is um, to that continued student success and that kid coming to school. Yeah. Along those lines, Scott, I, I think something that a lot of times gets missed because we we've all admitted uh, on the podcast tonight that the band directors are really busy. They've got all of these events going on. They're doing this stuff. And Scott just talked about when somebody shows up at the band concert to see the French horn. Uh, you know, to see the kid play his French horn, but you know, it means the world to the baseball player that's in your band when you show mm -hmm. up at the baseball game as mm -hmm. the band director. And, and a lot of times we miss that. And, and I think, you know, I would maybe not even think about it, would certainly give a pass because I know the band director was busy and had rehearsals and, and all the other things, but that that's a two way street. Just like when the kids get so excited when they're sitting on stage with their band and they see their history teacher out in the audience, um, you know, when their band director shows up to some other activity they're involved in or can comment on that, that goes a long way in that relationship piece too. It's huge. You just got to remember to do it from, from all sides and it, it pays super dividends. Right. And as a young band director, I have to admit that was something that took me a while to learn because my focus was on, you know, preparing the next concert and preparing this piece for the performance that's coming up or making sure that this child is ready for their audition that's coming up. And so it took me a while to realize that, you know, these kids, whereas they love music and they, they enjoy what they're doing, they may not love it as much as I do. And they have things that they, that they do outside of band that mean a lot to them. And it really means a lot for you as the director to be there to support them outside of the band room as well. I, I, I completely understand. I've walked in, in band director's shoes, how busy the band director is, but stepping back and getting that global view of, of everything that's going on in, in the school community and, and what's happening and understanding that 
the the school doesn't revolve around the band room. Um, you know, right. the band is part of the whole school, and and having that understanding um, is 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 very often difficult for band directors to wrap their head around because there's so much consuming them in their band job. But but that's important, and it, and I think especially when you start talking about maybe a an administrator that doesn't understand band or seemingly doesn't value band like you wish they did, you'll gain points with them when you show that you are invested in the whole school. You're part of the bigger team. You're not expecting everything to bow down to your band program. Exactly. Well, and let me give you one more reality nugget too. Uh, We talked about my wife, Alice, who's a band director. Um, She's been doing this for uh, 35 years now. Um, This past weekend, she went to a neighboring school district and did their all-county band. She was clinician uh, for that. She does a lot of clinician and adjudication work, Uh, you know, is is, um, former president of the North Carolina Bandmasters Association. She's Mm -hmm. got a pretty extensive resume. I mean, she's she's a heck of a band director. Um, The thing she did that meant the most and got her the most praise was even though she was conducting the all-county band this past weekend at the middle school where she works, she told her principal, Sure, the band will play at the pep rally you want to have on Wednesday. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I've been in so many situations where the middle school band director said, oh, yeah, we don't play at pep rallies. That's like a high school thing. We don't know any pep music. We can't do that. We don't have a drum line. There's a thousand excuses why you can't do it. Um, and right. I'll be honest with you, Alice has done this 35 years. The first 20, I'm not sure that she realized the magic that was in saying yes to the pep rally or taking the middle school uh, band out to play at the middle school football game Right. And and she wrote teaches them. I mean, her music education professors are probably rolling over in their graves. Uh, She wrote teaches them some some silly little songs that they think are cool. You know, they come in with melodies they want to hear. They figure it out and they write it on the board and, you know, wrote, learn these melodies that they play in unison. But they Uh think the greatest thing set to a little drum beat that the drummers played and they play that pep rally. And everybody in the school instantly thinks Alice should be teacher of the year. (laughs) <laughs> and that was right. the least important musical thing for music education that she did right. for kids. But the mileage she gets out of that, um, you know, and, and not just what her administrators and what her colleagues think, but the kids, they have mm-hmm. a blast. Um, you know, most of them never, they were, they were band nerds. They never stayed at the football game and they went to the football game and they had a good time and they danced and they cheered and they played and everybody came by and spoke to them and was excited. They were there. And again, she she's queen of the school for the next six months now because she played at the pep rally this week. Right. Um, that you know that's huge. Absolutely. And same thing goes for high school directors that hate doing a parade. I remember yeah. Craig, when when we moved to Moorhead City and uh, took over at Croatan High School. Uh, Alice and I had the attitude that we really hated doing a parade. Many high school directors <laughs> hate to do a parade, and everybody loves a parade unless you're a band director or in the band. Uh, and you mark all these parades and you think, man, this is really a drag. It's not the most fun thing I've ever done. But, you know, Craig made the point, like, this is the biggest audience that's going to see your band in the community. The people that are uh-huh. going to support you, put money into your fundraisers, do all the things in your community. The biggest groups you're going to see is when your band plays at graduation for high school and when your band marches in the parades. And in Carteret County, where we were at Croatan High School, there were five different Christmas parades that happened in, in that one county all over wow. all the little townships. And we did five Christmas parades every year. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and I've got tips if anybody wants to reach out to make your parade stuff better. But uh, we learned that having a great performance, I mean, 
Craig rolled out and he had all new costumes on in the parade and special flags. And we just rolled in and whatever we, we wore for our fall marching band show, you know, and Mm -hmm. he was like, Oh no. And he got a banner that was all sequined on his banner and the marching front. And we were like, how do you, how can you justify spending money on this stuff? You know, this is what's important. And he said, Oh, it's the most important because this is, this is what most of the people in the community think your band is, is what you right. parade. Um, and so it goes along the same lines, not just the middle school example I gave, but along those same lines, you know, making sure that you are nailing it at, at your graduation performance, that you're nailing it when you do parades. Uh, I can remember, like I said, Craig, he had rifles and sabers all down the side of the band and flags everywhere. And we got to a point, we started doing double swing flags in the parade and people thought that was the most beautiful thing they had seen. And it was uh-huh. the simplest, easy routine. And we figured out that our Veterans Day parade material and our Christmas parade material, they could do the exact same flag routine. And we used the same one every year. And we taught it to all the kids in the garden. It became super easy to prep and dust up and make look good. We just changed the flags from red, white, and blue to red and green. And, and you know, they did the double swing flags and we put them all in front of the band. So you hear music coming down and all you see are sheets of, of material flying around on the street. And everybody started to say, wow, that Croatan band, that's great. Look at them, uh-huh. um, you know, and it was big. And it's, you know, having that awareness and getting getting out of your little hole uh, where you're stuck in what's musically important and what you wrote about in your music education essays in college, like step back and take a look at the big picture of the whole school community, and it can make a huge difference. All right. And now it's time for questions from you, our listeners. This portion of our show is sponsored by Audish. Audish is a platform for managing any audition process from the classroom to a region or state event. From invitations, registration, billing, and messaging, all the way through the judging, scoring, tabulation, analysis, and wrap-up reports, Audish can help you have a successful audition process. For more information, check out their website at audish.app. That's A-U-D-I-S-H dot app. So before I began recording episodes of this show, I did send topics of discussions that we would be covering on the show to undergraduate and pre-service teachers, as well as young band directors who have just gotten into the classroom and may need some help. If you're one of those people and you need some advice or you have a question you'd like to ask, please feel free to send that to the Band Office Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can also find us on Instagram at Band Office Podcast. And feel free to slide into those DMs with your questions. All right, so this question comes from Mr. Keenan Boswell, a junior music education major at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And Keenan would like to know, what is the best way to resolve a conflict between uh, athletics and a band director and an administrator, specifically when an administrator is... Uh, a, a fan of athletics and uh, maybe doesn't support the arts in the same form or fashion. Now, when I read this question, I immediately started thinking about experiences that I have personally had. And I can think of one that's fairly recent um, when there was a student who is a star basketball player, and she's also the only Barry Sachs player in the ensemble. And a concert, which is scheduled a year in advance, uh, happens to be the same night as a basketball game that was only scheduled 
maybe a couple of weeks ago or, or rescheduled because of an unforeseen issue. And the coach says, well, I'm sorry, if you miss this game, you're, you're benched. So what would your advice be in that situation or a situation similar to that? Um, what, what does the student value? You know, I think, I think that's a big part. And because it's like you said, if they're, if they're the singular tuba player and they have a pickleball match that has been, you know, just on the books for the season, but without them like that, that is the band is going to crumble. Like, I think it's, for me, it's some negotiations with between the two. Now, if, if I was just like, it's, it's all athletics and, you know, the art, the arts, those kids just need to stay in the corner and be quiet. If I was a band director, I'd, I'd go to that principal and probably couch it something in terms of wins and losses. I mean, isn't that what most, most athletic directors and coaches want? They want, not only do they want to, you know, do well and show growth, but realistically, they're really measured on wins and losses. So if, if the, if the band director could kind of couch, couch it in those terms, like, you know, if our tuba player is not there, we're going to take an L and that looks bad on our entire school because, you know, we've got North snuff barrier, whoever, that they're going to break us across the goals. But, you know, if we bring that trophy home, like you've got some bragging rights in the region because we took everybody to court. And unfortunately that tuba player is a big link in that. Just like I know they're a big link in the pickleball team, but you know, this is one game and we've had this on the books for about 18 months. I, I need, I need your support. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that. I jokingly said to my class today that I was going to be the new head coach of our Brevard High School pickleball team. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I think with this one, again, this is a, a preemptive strike. Uh, you know, obviously what Scott said is exactly right. And, you know, once you find yourself in that situation, um, that's probably your way through it. But I, I think the most important thing, again, is building that relationship with your administrators. Um, if you have an athletic director as well, being able to have a sit down and a talk and the explanation mm-hmm. that, you know, um, you know, there's, there's not really a bench uh, with this performance for the band. Uh, you know, if this person is not here, there's nobody standing in the wings to take their place. Um, you know, and I realize the value to your team. Uh, but when you have a season of, you know, 20 basketball games versus our one winter concert, um, you know, there's a difference here. And, you know, I, and I would couch it as well that I think we can all agree we don't want the child to feel like they're stuck in the middle or that they're disappointing any right. of us. Um, you know, we want to we want to protect that for that child. And so, you know, what are our thoughts up front? And so that's where it's very important maybe to to expand this conversation and talk about when you're doing scheduling of your fine and performing arts events in your school. Like, is there an administrator that comes to the table that knows about that calendar? Does your arts department come up with their calendar the spring of the preceding year for the entire next year? Um, Does an administrator sign off or acknowledge that this is what we're doing? Uh, Do you have the athletic director involved in terms of giving schedules or likely athletic schedules so we can show that we're trying to work around things and and make that happen? And, And it comes in that that communication and setting it up and like, Hey, we're the adults. Let's sit down and talk about this before we mm-hmm. have a problem in April. Let, let's talk about it from the beginning of the year. What would we do if something happened and how can we try to not force a situation like that to happen um, with doing that? And, and again, that's just building that relationship and being able 
to talk to your administrator and get that and, and to, to make friends with your um, athletic director. I remember uh, when Alice and I moved, um, Scotland High School has a very strong football tradition, a very strong athletic uh-huh. school. Um, and, you know, we, we expected to be at football every Friday night with the marching band and, and that type of thing. And I remember when we first moved to Croatan High School, the new job together, and we were talking to uh, Lee Davis, our athletic director, talking to Lee about something. And Alice said something about the football stadium, you know, just in the middle of a sentence. And, and he's like, what did you just say? He interrupted her and she's like, what do you mean? He said, what did you just say? And um, he said, you called it the football stadium. She said, yeah. He said, it's not the football stadium, it's the stadium. We play football in there. The marching band performs in there. The soccer team plays in there. We do all kinds of things in the stadium. It doesn't just belong to football. Um, you know, and that may be a unique uh, perspective for an athletic director, uh, but it kind of framed that for me. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not all about one thing. He was about all kids. And, and again, I, I feel like I keep coming back to that theme, you know, for advice to band directors is be about the whole school community, not right. just the program. And then if you are that way, it's much easier for you to project that or expect that of other people in the school, whether they're athletic minded or you know, quiz bowl or robotics or whatever their thing is, like, are we all in a community and we're all, you know, at my school, we're all Patriots. That's our mascot. You know, Um, we're all on the same team ultimately. That's some really great advice. And as a new band director, that should be one of the very first things you do. Get to know your athletic director, get to know your coaches, form those relationships, because ultimately that's what this is all about. To finish out our program today, I have just one final question for you, and that is if you could leave our audience with one final nugget, one valuable lesson that you have learned throughout your career in education, or if you could think back to a mentor that really meant something to you, that you learned a a lesson from that you feel like is important to share with others, what would that be? Um, I'm going to talk about Mr. Heron. He was my middle school band director. He's the one at the beginning of of our conversation, I said, move me from trumpet to baritone uh, in my seventh grade year. And he, uh, if memory serves me correctly, was about four foot tall, but all four feet were pure, intense, caring fury. Um, and I mean that in a kind, loving, and compassionate way. But he, he really continually gave clear and explicit expectations. And he had, at the time, I thought, way too high an expectation. He, you know, I just remember like, you know, not only like learning the chromatic scales and learning how to read music, but just spending days on tone and pitch and, you know, in the infinite wisdom of being a 12 year old, I was like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about, but I kept on going year in and year out, you know, even now when I play musical instruments, you know, I I think of like, you know, intonation and phrasing that like, he really planted that seed and he had a deep enough um, pedagogical knowledge, but also the patience of Job to like instill that in us and keep at it, even though we were a bunch of middle school students and anyone that's ever dealt with middle school students knows that they are a unique bunch, uh, and they can be both infuriating and also endearing simultaneously. Um, but I just really have always appreciated those lessons he taught me. His his son was also in the same class I was, great, great, great trumpet player. 
Um, and just getting to see him as both a dad and a band director. And we would always give Chuck, his son, a hard time because he never caught a break. Um, but it was really good to see that those expectations were not just there for, you know, all us other kids. They were there for the one that literally goes home with them. That's great. And so uh, similarly, the, the person I want to talk about is, is Mark Johnson. He was my high school band director. Um, unfortunately, Mark passed away a, a few months ago and um, I attended his funeral. And uh, at the funeral, we had some people speak from the era when he was a high school band director. Um, also from his time at, uh, as a college and community band director uh, in Savannah, where he spent the, the latter portion of his life. Um, never got to know uh, his daughter. He had a child later in life um, after he had moved on. And so it had only uh, kind of heard about her uh, from a distance, but uh, obviously got to hear from his daughter and, and family friends about what a loving uh, father he was and all of those things. Uh, but I think for me, um, I look back on my career, my life, uh, where I've landed, um, and, and I really feel like I can trace it all back to uh, what I learned and, and what I experienced in my high school band. And so I would say this as a, as a cautionary uh, notice to, to any band directors listening, uh, you just never know the influence you're having on a, on a young person's life and the, the depth of the relationship you, you will build um, as an involved band director. Um, it's, it's unique compared to most other teaching positions. And in a high school, for instance, you're not going to teach this child for just one semester like most teachers do. Um, you're going to teach that child for all eight semesters, we hope, um, all the way through. You're going to know their siblings' names. Uh, you're going to know their, their parents' names. You're probably going to have all of their cell phone numbers in your phone. Um, you know, you've traveled with them, you've done all of these things and, and built really deep relationships that are meaningful. But um, some of the things that, that Mr. Johnson, Mr. J, we called him, uh, in, instilled in me that have made me a better leader, um, just understanding the, the push that he put behind what we were doing. We had a fantastic grade six high school band. Um, we were working on a shoestring budget and doing a marching band, but we're wildly successful with that. And he pushed all of us to be better uh, than we believed we could be or under, understood that we could be. And he was always there driving that and, and pushing that. And he instilled in us the importance of showing up. Um, I, I would have never missed a performance or, or even a rehearsal for that matter, um, just because I wouldn't have wanted to disappoint Mr. J uh, by not being there. And so I worked so hard and those skills and, and those traits that, that were instilled in me through that are the traits that I feel like make me a good employee now. Um, I'm going to be honest when I'm looking, uh, going back to where Scott started this whole conversation with the importance of our job in hiring people. I want to find people that I know had a great band experience. You know, I, I get in those, uh, those conversations. And um, in fact, we hired a, hired a young lady to teach as a special needs teacher at my school this past year. And I got on the interview and I found out she was from Centerville, Ohio, Centerville, Ohio. They have an amazing band program at Centerville High School. Mm -hmm. uh, and I immediately mm -hmm. wanted to find out was she involved with the band program uh, because that was going to sign the deal. Not just because I'm a band guy, but because I knew she understood and she had a special spark because she had been through that. Right. So I, I just think that's huge to know that you can have that influence on somebody. Uh, Mr. Johnson had that influence on me. And, and honestly, 
all the grad school, all the classes, all the professional development I've done, none of it was as important or foundational as what I learned in my high school band. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you on, and I do appreciate you taking the time to do this. And uh, before you go, just want to say thank you for all that you do as an administrator. Uh, I know that uh, many of us in education know that sometimes it can feel like a thankless job, and so I do want to take an opportunity to say thank you and let you know that when we have a good administrator like you, gentlemen, uh, it not only makes a difference in our schools, but it makes a difference to our students and in our band programs and uh, ultimately in our communities. So thank you both so much for what you do. And again, thank you for joining us here tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this first episode of The Band Office. We truly hope that you find your way back to us each week to find words of advice and encouragement that will help you have a more successful time in your classroom as a music educator. This podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina chapter of the National Band Association. Theme music is written and performed by the Westerlies.